Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to this. It makes no difference what you do, where you go, or who you are. God never stops calling you his son. Oh, yes, and the father said, now, he was lost. He forgot it. He forgot who he was. He had spiritual amnesia. Oh, Lord. And every once in a while, I tell you in various words, man's only problem, and man only has one problem. I don't care how many problems you think you've got. Those are not your problem. The problem is not the problem. I don't care how many problems you have or what kind of problem you think you have. That's not the problem. Man only has one problem. He forgot who he is and is identifying himself after the flesh and not after the spirit. The spirit has no problem. The flesh has all the problems. The spirit doesn't have any cancer. Only the flesh. <laughs> the spirit doesn't lack anything. Only the flesh lacks. Listen, let me give you something right now that's going to help you to cure every problem every time one comes up from now on. Know this. Whenever you have a problem, it just means that you have temporarily forgotten who you are. You are temporarily misidentifying yourself. The son of God has no problem. The son of a gun has the problem. <laughs> And God's sons have problems only because they've forgotten that they're God's son. See, God's son is not condemned. The son of a gun is condemned. The prodigal son, while he was living in son of a gun consciousness, he felt condemned. Just as low as he could be, dirty, nasty as he could be. But something in him said, I will arise. It lets you know that, listen, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, there is something in you that can rise above it. So... There are two things you'd better learn to do. Stop condemning yourself and stop letting organized religion or anybody else beat you down and making you feel unworthy. Amen. Now I'm going to ask for some more confessions. How many of you have ever had organized religion and preachers make you feel guilty? How many of you have ever been beat on by religion? Everybody who's ever been beat on by religion, let's see your hand. Uh-huh. I can see them sometimes. Folks come in here with their heads bloody. They've been Bible whipped. <laughs> and they keep going back every Sunday. You devil, you what? You're going to hell, bam. God's going to get you. And they keep going back for more. Some people are spiritual masochists. <laughs> All right. Guilt, conscious, unconscious, and subconscious is the root cause of all man's self-hate and self-destructive punishment-seeking. Now, that's another thing. It may surprise some people to know that unconsciously and subconsciously, every person who feels guilty is seeking punishment. Seek and you. I heard somebody say, thank you. <laughs> Good. Now you know what to do. If you have guilt in your heart, you're really an accident going somewhere to happen. If you feel condemned, you are looking for an executioner. <laughs> and you will find it in many different ways and in many different people. Amen. You'll marry one. <laughs> or you'll work for one. <laughs> or you'll find a preacher that will beat you. 
a man or mind who feels that he is guilty of sin or wrongdoing consciously and unconsciously hates himself. Now here, underline this so that you can pick this up. I'm going over this again. A man or mind who feels that he is guilty of sin or wrongdoing consciously and or unconsciously hates himself, seeks punishment and finds it in many forms such as enemies, opposition, bad luck, and victimization. The self-condemned man or mind sentences himself unconsciously to life imprisonment and hard labor. There used to be some years ago, none of you kids are old enough to remember, but there was a TV program titled, The Verdict is Yours. Every man is his own judge and jury. Whom do men say that I am? Okay, various things. Well, now, Jesus is saying, in effect, that doesn't matter. Who do you say that I am? <laughs> what do you say about yourself? What sentence do you pass upon yourself? Say that to the two people sitting beside you. What sentence do you pass upon yourself? What sentence do you pass upon yourself? See? You'd better issue yourself an executive pardon. And come on out of jail. And be free. To be, to do, and to have the good that you desire. But a lot of people are like that. They have sentenced themselves to life imprisonment. And they go around singing, oh, it's so hard to get along. Down south they had a song they called a spiritual, but it was the lowest blues. But it's hard to get along. I just can't hardly get along. And another one they call a spiritual, but it's a low-down, dirty blues. The devil wouldn't even sing it. You know, the one that goes, I am a poor pilgrim of sorrow. Devil wouldn't sing that. It's too low for the devil. Yet they sing it in church. When you say that, you sentence yourself. And then there was another one they sing sometimes, but if I can just make it in. I don't understand how people get happy with some of these songs they sing. Just, I don't mind the clothes I'm wearing. And I don't mind the way I'm faring. If I can just make it in. Make it in where? If you turn up at the pearly gates looking like that. You see, a song like that gives the mind the idea that life has to be hard. Life has to be difficult. That you have to go through hell to get to heaven. Well, that's all right. Everything be all right after a while. Over yonder. In the sweet by and by. That's how people sentence themselves to life imprisonment and hard labor. This is another reason Jesus tells us about judgment. He said, judge not, lest you be judged. Leave other people's sins alone. You are not called upon to judge other people's sins. You've got enough of your own. Straighten yours out. <laughs> it's all you can do to stay out of the flesh and to stay in the spirit. You, see. you don't have to judge this, that, and the other. Stop thinking that it is your job to judge everything that goes on in the world. Oh, isn't that terrible what they're doing over there? Oh, isn't that awful what they're doing over there? You're bringing yourself under that same judgment. As I've told you just before, preachers who make it a hobby to preach about certain sins, that always gets them. I 
tell you this every once in a while. I'll never forget the first fashion show we had here, and I was backstage, and uh, there was a lady back there that I'd never met before, and she came to me. She says, oh, Reverend Ike, she says, I'm so glad to see you and to meet you. I said, when you pray your prayer for sinners, please pray for me. I looked at her, and I, uh, the spirit must have said it because the flesh didn't say this. I said, lady, I'm not interested in your sin, my sin, or nobody else's sin. And you know, one of the things that will bind sin to you and you to your sin is being so interested. Oh, what a terrible sin I have. Oh, my weakness. You ever hear people say, oh, my weak, this is my weakness. <laughs> and the more you talk about it, and you beat yourself, but oh, it's my weakness. Oh, this is my terrible weakness. <laughs> and you beat yourself for it. You flagellate yourself for it. You won't get rid of it like that. Let go and let God. In the deep subconscious, there is no condemnation but self-condemnation. Now, isn't that interesting? Let's say that. In the deep subconscious, there is no condemnation but self-condemnation. No rejection but self-rejection. Now, every time it appears outwardly in the world that you are rejected, it is only a reflection of some deep self-rejection within you. You subconsciously rejected your own loan because way down deep you didn't want the burden of paying for it. You were afraid of debt. You know, people sometimes don't know why certain things happen. But the banker never rejects your loan. If a banker rejects your loan, it's not him. He is only your agent. He is your subconscious agent. Everybody in your life is your subconscious agent. Now that will make your belly bitter. But your mouth sweet as honey. As far as you are concerned, everybody is doing to you what you subconsciously compel or permit them to do. Everybody is our subconscious agent insofar as they concern us. They do to us what we permit or compel. There is no impoverishment but self-impoverishment, all resulting from conscious or unconscious subconscious self-hate. Any feeling of undeservedness is really self-hate at the bottom. You're really saying, I don't deserve this. I hate myself and I don't deserve that. So if there's any feeling of undeservedness in you, you'd better deal with it. That is self-hate. Getting quiet in here. Why don't you deserve it? Tell me one reason why you don't deserve it. That's when you hook into your guilt. And that's why. You're saying, I'm a terrible person. I'm not good enough. And it would surprise you to know the millions and millions of people that have that type of subconscious self-hate. A feeling of undeservedness, which is, as they, is based on self-hate. Now, the cure to self-hate is to cross out, crucify, the negative, sinful, guilty, hating, false identity, which Paul in Romans calls what? The old man. And accept the truth of yourself, the Christ Jesus self-identity. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Say that. There is therefore now... No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You have to accept the Christ Jesus identity, self-identity. A man must mentally move into and live in the Christ Jesus self-consciousness. Christ Jesus, the revelation of the truth of God in us, comes to set a man, a mind, free from the prison and abuse of untruth about himself.
The only thing that's true about me is what God says. God says I'm his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And if I would believe that, that would save me. He that believes in the Son hath life. But you see, we've been taught so many untruths about ourselves. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now this is the true meaning of accepting Christ, or accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. A man, a mind, is saved from his false, sinful, guilty, God-hating, self-hating, lying self-identity when he sees and accepts the truth of himself. Jesus Christ, God's Son. A man, a mind, must believe in the divine identity which God gave him. Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen, God has given mankind only one identity. What is that? My beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you have no business with any other identity. There is no other name. Under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In other words, we must accept that name, that nature, that Son of God nature. And we must live in it. And that saves us from the Son of a gun nature and all that comes to it. The more I think about what Jesus did... In his work on the cross, the more I appreciate it. In general, man universally and individually suffers from a guilt complex. In my years of ministering to people and counseling with people, I found this to be like a root cause for everything. And from conscious, unconscious, and subconscious guilt, a lot of things spring. Hate. Fear and all hate, of course, are, is evidence of self-hate. And so Jesus volunteered, took it upon himself to do his work on the cross, cross out individual and universal guilt complex, at the same time crossing out self-destructive self-hate. That's the formal subject of the lesson at this time. Repeat it after me. Crossing out. Crossing out. Self-destructive self-hate. Now, to dig deeper into the unconscious, subconscious regions of the mind, I asked a question that I dealt with only a moment ago because I want you to have a deep understanding of this. Why does a man have hatred for himself? Because he feels guilt. There's something that he feels guilty about and he hates that about himself. And as long as there is any conscious unconscious or subconscious self-hate person is going to bring problems and troubles upon himself or herself. But there's good news in Romans the 8th chapter, the first and second verses. Let's stand and read the text. Here is gospel. Good news. Because of Welcome to Raising Independent Thinkers. This show is a space for families who are homeschooling or thinking about homeschooling. We'll explore alternative teaching methods, federal and state homeschooling laws, and most importantly, this show is a platform where families can inspire one another on how to raise independent thinkers. I'm your host, Bathsheba Omani, Montessori educator, homeschooling consultant, 
owner of Homeschool Guide LLC, and mother of two. Let's get started. Good evening, everyone. Hi, Akeem. Good. So you're listening to the Raising Independent Thinkers show on Hindsight Radio. I hope everyone is doing well out there, staying healthy and feeling blessed. Um, I'm your host, Beth Sheba, and along with me is Akeem L., who many of you know is um, the creator of this platform, as well as the host of the True. Tuesday show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And he'll be co-hosting with me on this evening. So, um, yeah, good evening. Um, I've, I feel like my week has been pretty productive. And um, I did take a little mental break last week and decided not to do a show. Um, but this week I'm back and I'm feeling rested and relaxed um, how was your week, Akeem? Okay. Okay. You know, I can't complain either. Um, this past sun- Saturday was the first day of spring, or what's called um, the vernal equinox. And I read it's where... The entire globe receives equal intensities of energy from the sun. And I think that's so amazing. Um, And I know some of us celebrate this time of the year differently. I know Akeem did some, uh, a personal ritual. And I think I'm going to do mine um, with the kids sometime this week. Yeah. You're supposed to do between the 19th, 20th, and the 21st, somewhere in that. There was a new moon earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. Some people do it then. But, you know, you want to do it as close to spring, you know, because that's really the actual shit in life is going back to the planet. Not the planet, but just period. I guess spring is different from, you know, depending on what part of the planet you're on. Uh, but for this side, you know, it's the New Year's actually Yeah, I I know for me, I'm just really excited that the weather is warming up. You know, I'm I'm excited about planting this year. And just the whole concept of spring being the time for a new beginning. Um it's always exciting. So, I'm very excited to be starting a new series of discussions which I'm calling um it facing difficult conversations where each week we we'll topics that we tend to stay away from children. So since this show is all about raising independent thinkers, with that comes um, facing those tough questions and having conversations that we don't necessarily want to talk about or face. But the reality is, if we want 
um, honest children who are critical and independent thinkers, then I believe we must be as honest with them in all conversations as, as much as possible, even if they're uncomfortable or awkward to talk about. So this week, um, our topic is on ways we talk to our kids about death. And in our culture, especially, we tend to shut our kids away from any talks about death and um, what it means and what our beliefs are. I think one reason for this is that we don't have words to say, and also many of us didn't grow up having those difficult conversations with our parents, you know. So when someone passes away, many occasions, take the opportunity to talk to the children about it. instead um, decide not to say anything, you know, thinking that they're protecting them. So for many of us, it's even hard to talk about it or even express our own feelings because maybe we weren't used to do that when we were young. So the question um, I had for anyone that's listening is, um, you feel time to start talking about death? You know, should you wait until death occurs, or should you discuss your beliefs before that? Um, what age do you think is appropriate? How should how should you even start the conversation? Um, so, if you would like to share your opinion or experience with us, please call into the show. I would love to hear your perspective. Um, we are broadcasting through Blog Talk as well as live on YouTube, and you can call in. Um, the number is below, or you can type in your comment on YouTube on Akeem's channel, and that's spelled A-K-I-E-M-E-L. So, um, you know, going back to avoiding having these difficult conversations. I think it's something that we tend to avoid as a community, especially um, people of color. You know, I was raised where children weren't even allowed to be a part of own folks' conversations, and we were sent to another room when there were talks about anything serious. And, you know, if I had a question as a, as a kid about a certain topic, like, sex, God forbid, or drugs, or relationships, death, religion, you know, I was always given this hasty response, right, where I felt like I right. shouldn't even be asking the question. And all, and I also felt embarrassed to ask those questions. So where does that even come from? You know, where? what do you think, Akeem? I think it comes from our, um, most of it comes from religious point of view. Right. 
Right. Before, you know, that it can be a very pleasurable and spiritual experience if with the right person. Um, but they don't, you, that's something you learn way after the fact, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way. Like, I so, the same experience. Yeah. And with, with being a girl, um, I was taught that boys were bad. You know, right. stay away from guys. Guys are bad. They're bad news. Right. <laughs> they just want to do this thing. They, you know, they just want to get one thing that they need. Um, I think that's why we have such a viewpoint. And also media. Mm-hmm. Because, in the, you know, when they're advertising cars, they always have this half-naked woman standing in front of the car boxing what matches to have a half-naked woman walking around with the number, you know, telling you what the round is. And so that causes boys and men to objectify women's bodies mm-hmm. for, you know, who they really are, you know. Right. So all of that put together, plus you're not getting proper education from your parents about it. Um <laughs> That just adds to a recipe of disaster when it comes to how you look at sex. Because one thing TV glorifies is violence, right? The action movies are the big ticket sellers. Someone killing someone. Right. But someone having sex on the screen is considered x hmm. But you can see somebody's head get blown off or cut off. Bad. You know, horror movies where people just get bludgeoned to death. Right. You see, they'll show you all of that, and that's all, the, the rating they get is rated on. But two people having sex is X rated, and that's what, you know, those things produce sex, produce life. Violence produces death. So I think those messages that they're sending, I'm not saying you should, you know, them by around and watch people have sex. What I'm saying is one thing is glorified, the violence is death, and actually sex is, is considered taboo, and you can't, you, you can't have, you got to go to special places to watch it and stuff like that. Right. You can watch somebody get their head cut off. Right. So, well, that's why it, I it, think it's, it's so important for us, you know, parents to be talking to our kids about these things. Um, because they're going to get it anyway from outside the house. They're going to, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, and like you said, social media on TV, they're going to, they're going to see some of these things anyway. Well, and he, kids going to see things there, you know, because you don't know what type of household children are coming from. So they got things going on in the house and they're bringing that to the schools or wherever they hang out. Mm-hmm. So if that child doesn't have, a foundation of knowledge on those topics, they're going to soak all of that up. Right, right. So I know, you know, for many people, um, it's it can feel awkward or uncomfortable mm-hmm. talking about certain topics with their kids, right. but I do feel like it's necessary. And like I said in the past, as we as parents should always be the first teacher for our children. Um, and we don't want to miss the opportunities that we have to educate our kids. And when it comes to serious topics, you know, we should always be the first ones. So for me, over the past 20 years or so, I've come across 
a few parents, you know, a few families where they ask that question, how and when should I talk to my child about death? Um, and it usually was during a time where a death actually occurred, which I think is more um, of an, you know, the natural opportunity when it actually happens. And I remember um, this one family's pet dog had passed away and the mother was very distraught mainly because she had the dog for many years and didn't know how to explain the death to her mm-hmm. son who was only five years old at the time. Um, right. Now it's, I think it's important to realize that um, most children will experience a death at some point in their childhood or mm-hmm. know someone who's experienced a death. Um, and now of course, the death of a pet is different from the death of a close family member or friend, but it still can cause like lots of different emotions. And we should be talking about that with our kids. Um, right. So I, I oh, go ahead. they should learn. If they, cause children learn music at a very early age and can sing songs. So I think at that point they should be able to, you should be having that conversation with them. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, um, like two or three years old, they're singing songs. Like, you know, four or five, you know, somewhere around five, six, seven, six, you know, when they really have their comprehension, mm-hmm. you know, they should be taught, you know, death is a part of life. It's a cycle of life. Um, we don't have to teach it in a doom and gloom way. You know, a lot of people teach children, all oh, the kids, you know, they go into heaven and all, you know, give us all kind of philosophies on what's happening to us after death. You know, of course, we don't know that for sure <laughs> until we actually happen to ourselves because no one's ever come back and proven those theories. But we should actually get them prepared. Hey, you know, I'm not going to always be here. You know, this is this is the time. I think if you teach children early that, I think they'll have a different appreciation on life mm-hmm. because we're not teaching them that this life, this physical life is, is not forever. Mm-hmm. Body will go. We kind of put it out of our mind until it happens. And then we're faced with it. Now we're traumatized. Mm-hmm. There's no real preparation. Oh, somebody's going, I never, you know, I didn't think it would go this soon. You know, we knew it was coming, mm-hmm. but you're not, we deal with it in the moment, and I think that's why it, it, it hits home so hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, and I think they'll appreciate us in general just talking about those things with them, and they'll um, mm-hmm. trust us more, you know? Yeah. Um, so for those who are, who just started listening, we're talking about how to have a difficult conversation with our kids, and um, we're talking about the topic of death and how we can talk to our kids. Um, you know, when I lived in Ohio, I'll never forget this. Um, one of our kittens had passed away when my kids were really young. Um, I think Sammy was about five and Rachel was around three. And Rachel was the one who took care of the kittens that we kept from um, a pregnant cat that we had. And one of the kittens was really small and sickly, and it stopped eating, and one morning it had died. And let me tell you, 
Like I was mortified that I had to explain to them both what had happened because I knew how mm-hmm. much, you know, um, especially Rachel really loved that particular kitten. And at first um, she thought it was sleeping, but I knew something was wrong. And when I sat down and explained to them both what happened, um, she just bursted out in tears and was screaming. And it was very difficult. It was a difficult um, discussion for me to have with her, but I knew I had to have it. And one thing that I did that had helped was before I talked to her, I had to gather my own thoughts and really think about what I was going to say. So um, I just wanted to share a few tips that um, you might want to write down um, or keep just a mental note if this happens to you or if you're going through it. So the first thing um, that I normally tell parents is that no matter what the age of the child is, to take time and process your own thoughts um, on what's going on. Um, You know, think about how the death made you feel and how it happened and what your own faith and beliefs are. And, um, you know, you may need to cry and yell and scream, whatever you do to express your emotion, but take that time by yourself to process your own thoughts before you go and talk to your child. Um, And this is something that I shared with that mom whose dog had passed away because she was extremely distraught. I mean, she was coming to me crying herself. So um, that's the first thing. Second thing that you can do is um, just sitting down and asking your child how they're feeling and what, what are their thoughts. Um, everyone processes death differently, especially children. Um, you know, with children, they might feel confused. They don't know what's going on. They might feel sad, angry, afraid, um, or they might not even know how they feel. So just reassuring them that their feeling, whatever they're feeling is valid and it's okay to feel that way. Cause I think sometimes we, um, we tend to, you know, not want our children to feel sad or we don't want our want our children to cry. You know, I've seen parents telling children, stop crying, you know, or stop, right. stop doing this. And, and I think that it's important that, um, that we teach our kids that it's okay to feel something, you know, we're not always happy. Mm-hmm. Right. So the third thing, um, is is um, ask them if they have any questions. Um, now, with young children, they usually have a hard time understanding the permanence of death, especially really young children. Um, and they might ask questions like, what happens when you die, you know, or what does death mean? Um, and this is when you need to be, I feel, as honest as possible, Um you know, like you said, Akeem, um, death is a part of life. You know, we die. When we die, our our body stops working. Um, and I think it's important to give your child time to process your words. You know, make sure you're observing their behavior and response. If you see that um, it might be too much information for the child to take mm-hmm. in, 
um, or they're showing signs of distress, you might want to break up a conversation and talk about certain details another time. Um, and you can reassure them that you're always going to be there. You know, well, you're going to be there for them to comfort them when they're feeling a certain way. Right. But I think, I, like I said, I think it's a true disservice to our kids when we, like, hush them and make them feel bad when they're showing their true emotions. Mm-hmm. I think that's why sometimes um, as adults it's hard for people to um, show their emotions because when they were children, you know, their their they're feelings not, were never sure. acknowledged. Well, a parent can't acknowledge, teach a child how to acknowledge feelings that they don't know how to do it. And I think we're dealing with generations of that type of uh, upbringing, mm-hmm. that our feelings, and that comes from a lot of the things we experienced in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to just suck it up and suffer through uh, certain things. So a parent can't teach what they haven't been taught. You know, there's a lot of things that we know as parents, you know, but until we someone breaks the cycle and does a conscious effort of changing those things, it'll just keep happening. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. You know, I there were many things that I was not taught. And um, throughout the years, I, I learned from myself, and I decided to break the cycle and teach my children in a different way. So I think you're right. We definitely, um, many of us have to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a lot of us don't realize that the cycle needs to be broken until the children are grown. Yeah, that's true. We've already raised some kids, <laughs> children, you know, into, you know, certain things I see my, my oldest son doing, and I tell him, hey, you know, that's not a good idea. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, he said, well, you did it. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> so don't use me as an example. I'm right. telling you, it's not a good idea. Um, and here's why. So I can see a lot of the things that I did when he was young, just he's doing it to his, his son. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's, but, it's you not know. too late because, you know, he's he's still young. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's not too late. I mean, um, it's just just letting them know, hey, did it work for you <laughs> when <laughs> I did it? I told him, say, I don't think it worked. Right. We might want to try something different. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's one thing. Um, growing up, <clears throat> I was never, like, my feelings weren't really acknowledged as much, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think parents, re- some parents don't realize, like, even saying um, to your child, I see that you're upset. I see that you're you're sad. You know, I see that you're angry. Do you want to talk about it? That means a lot because, you know, they're being acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think there's some there's some um, questions that we might not have um, an answer for, and I think that's okay, too. Um, I don't think we have to have all the answers for everything as parents. Yeah, you let you them know? know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to just tell them. You like... know what? I don't have an answer right. for it. Uh, y'all can choose to look it up together. Um, yeah, it's 
sometimes parents will um, lie their way through an answer. Right. <laughs> Just so they, you know, which is not a good idea because later on the kid's going to figure out it's not the truth. Right. And like your grandson, so, he has so many questions. You know, every time mm-hmm. I'm around, he's always asking me questions. And um, mm-hmm. I think our kids are smart enough to understand that if we're if we're just making up something, they know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Mhm. So I, I remember when my my father did some. I didn't think it was all the way true, and I challenged it. Mhm. At times, sometimes I didn't. <laughs> But when I challenged him, he didn't like me. You know, I don't have to lie to him about nothing. You know, he never really gave a real answer about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think most of the, the um, questions that are difficult to answer are the questions of faith and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Like when your child asks, you know, if someone passes away and they ask, are they ever going to see them again? Or, or just conversations about heaven and hell and um, – yeah. See, that's where it starts getting tricky. Right, right. Everybody and has their own their individual beliefs. Yeah. You know? We, we grow up with all of these beliefs. Oh, you know, they're going off to heaven. They're going off to a better place. We're going to do this. And, and that leads to a whole bunch of kids get older trying to verify that. Right, right, right. You know, so I, I wouldn't, me personally wouldn't even say anything. Oh, they're going off to a you know. This will happen. They're dead, and you know, we, we, the body is gone. Now, my personal belief on what happens after dying, mm-hmm. spirit continues on living. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the truth of you continues to live. But still, how do I prove that mm-hmm. to a young child? Right, right. You know, how do I prove that? Right. How do I say that? You know. And me, I would personally just deal with what we're dealing with. That body is gone. Right. Uh, no, you will not be able to speak to that person physically ever again. Right, right. So just deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, I even get, um, I remember I was always confused when people said they put their dog to sleep. Because I would think like, okay, they put their dog to sleep. And as a child, I would always think, well, you know, if if I go to sleep, am I going to die? You know, that's how children think. That's how young mm-hmm. children think. Mm-hmm. So even when we say things like that, um, mm-hmm. and adults say it all the time, but sometimes we don't think about how a child is going to perceive that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to tell them, you know, this is what happens. This is, anything's possible. Just be truthful, truthful with them. Mm-hmm. You don't know, you don't know. If you know, you know. I could sell them all my philosophical beliefs, but do I have definitive evidence of what I believe to present to them? Right. You know, because they're going to get older and just form their own opinion at some point, mm-hmm. regardless of what I say, you know. And I might say, hey, you know, some people believe this, some people believe this, but none of that is, you know, verifiable. Right. What is verifiable is, you know, at this point in time, that person is gone from this reality. All right. Well, hopefully um, those tips help someone out there, you know, who might be going through 
um, having a conversation like that with their child. Um, I, for some reason, I cannot see uh, any comment. Oh, okay. There goes the comments. Let's see if anyone um, commented. Um, okay. People are just saying hello. Um, Matrix Media said when we die, we'll most likely come back. I think it's our choice when we want to come back. I think all that's, or most exactly things are our choice. Like I said, it's, that's what he. That's that, what they think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, we, everybody's got an answer for this death issue. See, you know, there's, you know, I mean, I could go and say, well, this is it. But what is truly it is this. The person you used to talk to on a daily basis or not no longer can be talked to in this reality, mm-hmm. meaning that's verifiable. Mm-hmm. And when we start giving children all of these different viewpoints, I think it confuses them even more. <laughs> you know, when you start saying, well, I believe this and I believe that, mm-hmm. now you're trying to influence their spiritual consciousness. You know, I would say, hey, at some point you're going to, search out why this happens. And I, I think that's a personal thing for each person to do their research and ask for those answers and then come to their own conclusion. Right. Does one perception make one perception right, uh, perception right over the other? Mm. Really? We all have our perception, and at the time we have that perception, we really believe we're right until we get different information. Right, right. You know. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, and I with very young children, they're still um, thinking concretely. So right. <laughs> so so I, me personally, is like being accurate. Hey, this is what's going on. What happens after that, I really don't know for sure. This is what mm-hmm. I've been taught. This is what I believe based on this. Having an accurate conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Give a child. This is it. And then they grow up and then they come across some information that opposes what you just said. You know, now you just created another situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you really don't want to mess with the consciousness of a young child by giving information that you can't verify. Because because now you're trying to shape them and seeing your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And if you want them to be individuals, you have to allow them to come up with their thoughts. Absolutely, and yeah. that. It may not it may disagree with yours, but it should be okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, now that my kids are um older, you know, I can have some of those um conversations on philosophy and what their beliefs are. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting how they believe, you know, what they believe. And I respect mm-hmm. how they believe. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you have those conversations with your your boys, Akeem, on their yeah, beliefs. Not often. They 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 grow. They we don't. They know what I believe. They got their beliefs. We don't really go back and forth like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, if you are a parent out there that needs support on homeschooling. Um, you're looking for the right curriculum, you don't know where to start, or you're needing help understanding homeschooling laws in, the, in your state, please go to my website, home-school.org.
uh, home-schoolguide.com and schedule a consultation. Also, if you have a concern with your child's current school and need an advocate to support you, I'm available for advocacy as well. Um, And if your child is a homeschooler and will be graduating um, this year, I do offer a customized high school diploma and or transcripts that are legally binding. Um, It includes a gold certified seal along with uh, the leather diploma cover. So if you're interested in that, you can find more information on my website. Um, And And that can be used as proof when you go to get a job. Right. All legally, legal documents. Right. Everything is legal. Mm -hmm. That's possible as a homeschooler that you can have that that proof. Yeah. Well, homeschoolers have to graduate too. Right. Right. But see, people who have a a bad viewpoint about homeschooling. Um, I know a lot of educators who are in the system who don't agree with homeschooling. But consistently, homeschooling children do better than children who go to normal compulsory educational schools consistently. They achieve, if they decide to, like, go back into that, they, they, they tend to do better than other children in, in, in learning. Yeah. And I think that's because it's more of a catered environment for that child, whereas you go to regular school, there is no catering to one child. Mm-hmm. This teacher is trying to manage several children in the same class, 15-plus children. I know when I was in school, it was 30 children in the class. Right. And that's far too many students for one teacher to handle. So you have, you know, if you miss something, you kind of embarrassed to even say you missed it because everybody else, you think everybody's on the same page, is, you know, they got the information. You don't want to feel like you're dumb. Mm-hmm. So you don't say anything, and the teacher just moves on, and you really didn't get it. So that I think homeschooling is, is a far superior form of education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for a lot of parents, they feel like they have no choice, you know, because they have to work. But I think right. I feel like when you have a child, um, you need to think about that, <laughs> you know, think about how mm-hmm. you're going to educate the child um, right. before having them. So Well, a lot of them are thinking in terms of how school taught them. So they feel like they have to do exactly what the schools is doing mm-hmm. to teach their child. And it's just, and sometimes children who go to regular school and and you're trying to present that to them, they think like that too. So that's a big misconception. Actually, homeschooling is so much more relaxed, in, especially in states like North Carolina, where you choose what the child learns. Right. So, <laughs> and, you, you know, you're passing and failing the child. You're not going to give your child all of these ridiculous little things that the school makes you do, mm-hmm. you know, for what they call Because a lot of those tests are not really for seeing where a child is at. Most of those tests are for seeing where they can get funding, mm-hmm. you know, from. It's more about money than it is about educating the child. So, Right. Yeah, I'd, um Maxis Murr, he said uh, it's too late for him because his little ones are 31 
and 20, yeah. 25 and 21. Um, yeah. And, you know, my kids are older too. And I, I asked, they both actually went, uh, one went to private school, one went to public school and I taught them when they were home. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like if I, if I known what I, what I know now back then, I definitely did things differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, well, um, I wanted to get into our book, Akeem, uh, The 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro uh-huh. by J.A. Rogers. And last week or two weeks ago, we started discussing um, ancient civilization and I believe we talked about the Grimaldi people. Right. Um, and we learned uh, they were a Negro race that arrived in Europe thousands of years ago. Now, that word Negro, Akeem, do you feel that's like derogatory? At one time, it was still this culture made it a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. Um, Negro is a derivative of the word naga, what we would say nigger, a lot of people would say it, but it was actually N-E-G-E-R. And mm-hmm. that word meant God or deity. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when they said niggas, they mm-hmm. would start calling those people gods. Okay. So I actually have a book. I don't oh no, I don't have the uh, the letter in because I have a book that goes over the etymology of words. Mm-hmm. I, I'm waiting for the second volume where it covers the word the N word, the letter N. Yeah, so a lot of the words that we're using, like black, Negro, and all of those things, um, are. Um, they just change the meaning of them to make it sound like it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know. So when okay. you go back and look at the root words, what they really meant when they first introduced the word, you're like, wow, this has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what we've, what we've been calling people. You know. Right. Well, that's so. interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can read number 11. Can you see it? Oh. Um, I can read it. I have it in front of me. Okay. Can you turn the page or bring it down? or? Okay. Mm-hmm. So now it says Elam. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Elam. Elam. Mm-hmm. A Negro civilization of Persia for 2900 B.C., and is perhaps older than Egypt or Ethiopia. Wow. Mm-hmm. One of its later Negro kings, Kudur Nakunta, conquered Chaldea and Babylon and brought back to his capital, Susa, rich treasures among which was the famous statue of the goddess, Nana. Later it became the capital of Cyrus, the great and Darius, 
Susa is the Shushan of the Bible, where Esther and Jewish, Jewish sought the favor of King Asterisk of Persia and Ethiopia. Now, Persia, mm-hmm. that's in um, Iran, right? Mm-hmm. Persia is located Persia. in Ra- Iran. Oh, uh, that's I got. I look it up. I think you're right, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was gonna read the proof on this. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Okay. So uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. What Persia is what we call Iran today. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um Persia was originally dominated by a Negro people known as the Elamites. Mm-hmm. Um and it says De La Foy, a Frenchman, the principal excavator of Susa. The ancient Negro capital, so Susa was mm-hmm. the, the capital, says, I shall attempt to show to what distant antiquity remounts the establishment of the Negroes upon the left bank of the Tigris and the constitution of the Susian Marquis. Mm-hmm. Towards 2300 BC, the plans of the Tigris and Anzian Susinka were ruled by a dynasty of Negro kings. The coming of the dynasty of Medes, Medes corresponds perhaps to the arrival in the, in the south of an immense Scythian white invasion. Okay, so there was a white invasion. Pushed back by the black Susans after having taken possession of the mountains, the whites poured down upon the plans of Tigris and remained master of the country until the time when Kadur Nakunda, that was the, the king, subdued Chaldea and founded Anzin Suzuka and who added to the territory of the blacks Nim Kusu Habardip, all the mountains all the mountainous districts inhabited by the whites of the Scythian race. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to say, um, the Greeks themselves seem to have known these two Susian races. Have not their old poets given to the direct descendants of Menon, the legendary Susi hero? who perished under the walls of Troy, a Negro father. Tyson and a white mountain woman mother, Kissia, do they not say that Menon commanded an army of black and white regiments at the sage mm-hmm. of Troy? Mm-hmm. Later, the Aryans and Susians united to form the Persian race. So the Aryans and the Susians. The so Susians the Susians were black. Mm-hmm. And the Aryans white, is that right? Aryans. 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 Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they united to form the Persian race. According mm-hmm. to the 
the Echolus, greatest poets of antiquity after Homer, Persis, the ancestor of the Persian people, was the grandson of a Pathos, who was black like his father, Zeus. Mm-hmm. All of those gods back then were um, were um, dark-skinned. They didn't become lighted, lightened up until this West, Western culture took over. Mm-hmm. So they had to, you know, they, they, you know, they went around and they didn't see themselves included in any history. So they had to insert themselves into history. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's really coming out that, like, this stuff really happened really over the last few hundred years. Like, all of these changes, these big major changes. Because mm-hmm. um, actually was two white guys thinking about it. I was watching a video of them breaking down how a lot of the stuff we're reading out of the Bible <laughs> and these characters didn't even exist mm-hmm. until a few hundred years ago. You know. So although the history book said it was taught years ago, and when, really when it really got taught was when these new religions hit the planet, hit this Especially here, you had the, the Mormons, you had the Jehovah's Witnesses, mm-hmm. and, and it, 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 when those two religions took off, mm-hmm. right alongside them, a lot of changes to history started to take place in how they were teaching it. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, people of color had no contributions, and they had all the contributions. Mm-hmm. Where of course, there was no evidence, physical evidence of that. All they had was only evidence you have of what they were saying was in a book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the statues and the stone writings, you know, it was a um, a special mm-hmm. year ago with, with uh, Richard Pryor. Years ago, I think it was like in the 70s, mm-hmm. where they went inside and they were taking, <laughs> they went inside of the tomb. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Man, these are all of these are niggas in here." What <laughs> movie know? was that? It wasn't a movie. It was like a show. And okay. He, they went inside like they were like going inside of an Egyptian tomb. But they, we, at one point, we thought that the, the pyramids were tombs. That's what they were teaching. Mm-hmm. They come to find out they're not tombs. They're power centers. So, um, they, see, that's the, how the story changed over years. When I was coming up. The, the, the pyramids were too. Now mm-hmm. they're not. They change. Mm-hmm. The, when you lie, you have to change the story all the time. Mm-hmm. So he gets in there and he says, "Oh, all of these are niggers in here because all wow. the paintings were all dark people." And they they cut out on the camera when he said that. Oh wow! You see, <laughs> but see, all ancient antiquity is always in a place where there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing: the perception that we are minority is such a gross. Fabrication. Mm-hmm. Only we, only way you believe, only way you know that they, when they say white people are majority, is what you hear them saying. Well, these numbers that they create, right? Mm-hmm. But people don't know. You get to be called white if you're from Europe, if you're from Persia or what we call Iran, the Middle East. They can check off on a box saying that they're white if they're from that area. So. That's how they're getting their numbers. Those people are dark over there, you know. Mm-hmm. Those all of that that whole area is full of dark people. 
those and their names <laughs> that they have are very close to names like mine. Like Akeem, when I walk into a, a Middle Eastern person's home and I say my name is Akeem, instantly I get respect. Mm-hmm. Oh, brother, when I say that name. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So, <laughs> so, you know, there was a college professor. He came here. I think he was teaching at, um, no, it wasn't a college. It was, uh, remember, Hunter, was it Hunter College? Is it a, it's Hunter, the school in New York. Mm-hmm. It's college. Hunter. Mm-hmm. Hunter College, right? He came to teach there, mm-hmm. and he was from the Middle East. And mm-hmm. he was trying to figure out well, how to fill out the application. He said, well, check off white. He's like, I'm not checking that off. And it was getting upset with him because he wouldn't check off white. Mm-hmm. You see, this guy was dark as I was. Mm-hmm. So that's what, see, there's always some cheating going on <laughs> with the numbers. It's, people of color dominate this planet. 85 to 90% of this planet is people of color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very small number of what they're calling Caucasian or white. It's very small enough compared mm-hmm. to people of color. And even some people who think they're white, they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I did something early in the week where I was talking about who really is a free white person. Guess who was not? People from Cau- uh, Caucasian people are not free white persons mm-hmm. and aliens. They they said it specifically in the Black Law Dictionary. These people are not Caucasian, free white people. Mm-hmm. But then they named all of the people, and most of the people were dark skinned people. You know, I was <laughs> looking up your name. You talked yeah. when you were talking about your name. It said mm-hmm. um, that it is Arabic, yeah. which um, is the language from the Middle East. Yeah, parts it, of the it, Middle it, East. It's it, it's from all over. It's yeah, all, parts of the Middle East. All of those yeah. places we call the Middle East is what all what part of Africa too. Yeah, right? in Africa, North uh, Africa. Mm-hmm. Right. So. It has different names. It means teacher in some places, depending on how you spell it, it means doctor. And then in some places it means wise one, one who knows. Those are the different definitions of that name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but when I say it, it's well known for people from that area when mm-hmm. I say that name. Right. It's like instant respect when I say it to them. In this country, it's a different thing. But when I deal with it, People from Middle East and those areas mm-hmm. all over there, and I say that. They're like, oh, wow, okay, where did you get that name from? They want to know who my family is to see if we can make a connection, right. you know? Yeah. So. Okay, well, um, did you want me to keep reading? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, you know, can't give them everything. They, they blow their heads off and keep telling them too much truth, you know? Some people can't handle that. <laughs> too much. You don't say too much. I actually put a picture of that place called Elam. Elam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right. Oh, there. okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, it's small. Mm-hmm. I can't. Okay. So it's Persia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, so, Akeem. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's all, all right. I have for this evening. Um, that was it. Okay. Well, um, I was good. I was trying oh, to look okay. for um, the shows so that I can read off the shows, but well, I can do that off the top of my head. We have the Bombay <laughs> show on Monday, seven p.m. East time. 
my show Tuesday through Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then we have the Divine Connection show on Thursday, mm-hmm. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Sunday, like today, the Raising Independent Pendant Thinking Show. Those are all of the shows we have. And we try to stream them all live to make it um, a lot. I see people love YouTube. Um, and, you know, still going to use the blog talk forum for people who want to call in and ask questions. Things like that. Um, but try to do more. And I'll be doing some more spot, um, spot, spot um, you know, YouTube streaming. You know, I got some, some very good information this year. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do it this week. Yeah, I do maybe one or two. I, I didn't do an extra one last week. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do one this week. Whatever I move to do it, I don't know. But definitely, you know, Tuesday. I might even take Tuesday off, I'm thinking. No, you said you you were going to take a day off. Right. I'm not sure. Um, I might have something to talk about. But anyway, as always, a pleasure doing the show with you. Um, Okay, well... Hope you all tune in next week. Um, same day, same same day, same time. I hope everyone stays blessed. All right, peace. Okay, peace, everyone. All right.